especially you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, together as we uh, continue looking at Advent and peace together. It's, uh, peace is not a, um, it's an interesting subject because we kind of define it different ways at different times in some ways. Uh, we define it, uh, if when we have conflict, we usually define it as the absence of conflict, right? Like, I just want some peace around here. Um, or if we, uh, we just have personal peace, sometimes we're looking, but what about peace in the world? We define it different ways because peace in the world looks different than personal peace and having that peace in your heart, so to speak. Because peace, ultimately, we realize is more than just a lack of conflict, right? Like, once you have no conflict, you're like, but I want a little bit more. I want some harmony, you know? I want some things to work together. I want some things to come together and to fit together. And that's usually the word um, in the Hebrew is the word shalom. That, and when it's talking about peace, it's, and it's more than just saying, oh, there's a lack of conflict. Shalom is the idea that everything in God's world fits together, that it operates together, that it has purpose and meaning. And, it, and it, uh, it op- there's a flow and, a, and, a, and a, like a harmony to how things operate. And so when we think about peace, again, it's, it's complicated. And especially if you think about uh, world peace, in a sense, right? It gets really complicated, as we've talked about, uh, we, as Jed talked about earlier today, just that, you know, there's war in Ukraine, there's war in Israel, um, and how, how, do we, how do we solve those problems? What, what, how can we create peace in those situations? And yet... When, when you start to think about it, you realize that world peace really doesn't, will never come unless there is that personal peace, that is you yourself have peace, that you can pass on to others, that you have it um, regardless of the circumstances in a sense. And yet at the same time, there's a lot of things that kill peace. And of course, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is something like war, right? Uh, conflicts, whether it's uh, actual war with weapons or it's verbal war where we're uh, in a sense, speaking harsh and critical and hurtful things to one another, uh, conflict can really kill that feeling of peace. But other things kill peace as well. Uh, just that uncertainty of which direction to go, or uh, uncertainty of of uh, what, how how things are supposed to operate. Right? Like I wouldn't want to drive on any of those roads. Right? Uh, and that's often the way we feel as we go through life. It's like, I don't know what the next step to take is. Why? Because there's something uncertain. There's a lot of things that are just shifting under my feet, so to speak. And, I, and I, it feels like my direction keeps jerking around, so to speak. I'm not sure where to go. Another thing that kills peace, frankly, is, is loneliness, right? That sense of just being, being alone, not having someone who really knows you, knows your story, knows what's going on in your life, that cares about what's going on. And so loneliness can be another thing that really kills peace. And we see in our world today that that's a a major problem. I think another thing that, probably the last thing that as I was thinking about that kills peace is ingratitude, right? Ingratitude here, the child is saying to the mom, I'll give thanks, but must, must I give thanks with a grateful heart, you know, right? Like, I can perform the act, but do I have to feel it? And when, we, when, it, comes to, uh, when it comes to peace, what we're, 
when we have ingratitude in our hearts, when we're looking at life and thinking, but I don't have what I need, if I, I, and, I, and I'm focused on all the things I don't have rather than focusing on the things that I've been given, the things that have blessed me, then they kill peace. They, they provide, just uh, it, it, it destroys the, the harmony, the beauty, the fittedness, if you will, of the setting. Uh, most of you, well, some of you know this for sure, but some of you don't know. Um, we moved to this location in 2000, and it was farmland, right? Straight farmland. And, uh, and quietly, over the last 20 years or so, um, there's, we, these, you know, we now have trees all around the backside of the, the property. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Obviously, it's a windbreak, right? Of course, it's a windbreak. But at the same time, it was something that's been carefully nurtured over years. Richard Schwartz is a member of our church and uh, knows how to take care of trees, fortunately. Uh, and uh, quietly over the last 20 years, he's faithfully gone out there, especially over the summer, and, uh, and watered trees, pruned trees, cared for trees, cut, cut some of them down, you know. And uh, if you... If you want to see something that's slowly built over time into something that's beautiful, just take a walk, which I occasionally do. Uh, take a walk. You can, you can come anytime. You know, it's no charge to get on the property, right? You know, and just take a walk through those trees. It'll take you about 15 minutes, maybe, if you walk. Just enjoy your time. There's four rows of trees, basically. Two rows of pines and then three rows of other types, mostly deciduous trees, right? Um, but it's, it's a beautiful walk. Why? Because it's ordered. There's a certain amount of order to it. There's purpose to it. Blocks the wind. But it's more than just blocking the wind. There's, there's the, the way the trees are set up and the, the way that they, that it, it all flows together. It's a, it's a beautiful walk. And as you're walking in beauty, there's a sense in which you, you, you notice that things start to fit together in your life better, you know what I mean? Like, and you're, you're reminded of the truth that God is in control, that God is at work. And, uh, and, and so I'd encourage you to do it at, at some time too. Maybe not, uh, maybe before it snows, you know, just put it that way. But even when it snows, it can be a beautiful thing, right? To walk back there amongst the trees and to, to just notice some things. And it may, you don't have to do it here, but there's plenty of places you can go in some ways to to notice the, the beauty of God's creation. And one of the people talk, especially nowadays, right? We talk, since we're such so digital, we talk about getting back into nature. But nature itself isn't the, the source of peace. It's just a reflection of the peace of God, the order that's there, the beauty that's there, that God put into his world. Why? Because he wants us to grasp peace because he knows ultimately we don't have it without him. And he creates various ways that we connect with him. Now when it comes to Matthew chapter 1, we have the ultimate expression of, in a sense, the messenger of peace that comes to us. And Matthew chapter 1 is, a, is designed in the book of Matthew as a, it starts with the genealogy, which I'm glad Luke preached on and not me. And then, uh, now we come to this, and it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. But Matthew is designing his, his book, or he's crafting his, 
his gospel to communicate that Jesus is the king, but he's coming with a purpose. And, and he's also, he's coming with a purpose to answer several of the themes that have been started in, in, in Genesis and left kind of still unanswered. Like, okay, how are we supposed to restore this world back to peace, right? And what about, like, the, mother, the, you know, the first brothers, Cain and Abel, and they were automatically already at odds with one another until one murdered the other, right? And what about, what about Abraham and, and just the, the peace of knowing that, my, that I can pass on to my family the, the God's promises and everything that goes with God's promises? And that's why Matthew starts with Abraham and his genealogy. And that's why you see echoes of that same theme here as we get into Matthew chapter 1. But his goal really is to help us see that Jesus is the one who's coming to create peace. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, going through verse 25 this morning. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he took, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until he had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. And I just want to look at various aspects of how this story both kind of answers some of the questions from the Old Testament, but also how it promotes peace ultimately. And the first point I just want to draw out from the story this, this morning is that just decision-making promotes peace. Just decision-making promotes peace. It's an interesting setup, right? You have this, we, we, in Luke we get to decide from the story from Mary's side, you know, the angel coming to her and the announcement, and all of the wonderful kind of praises that, that uh, John, uh, John's father did, and, and, and Elizabeth did, and Mary did, um, in recognition of this Messiah coming, right? And yet, uh, in Matthew, we get Joseph's side, right? In a sense, it's this scenario where he finds out that, and, and again, Jewish marriage was a little different from ours, in the sense that you could be engaged, in a sense, but you were really married. Does that make sense? Like there was a, kind of a, a contract that they set up, and at a certain point, you were married even though you weren't living together. And that's the, the state that Mary and Joseph were in. They were espoused. It's not the word engaged as, as much as it is this idea that they're, they're, they're promised to each other. They're actually in a marriage contract, even though they're not living together. And he finds out that she's pregnant. And 
all the things that would flow through anyone's mind come, come, to, come to his mind. What do I do with this? How do I handle this? And what you see in the midst of this is it says that Joseph, it says, bef- um, he says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So you have this, this conflict. You can, see, you can see by the two different phrases there. Being a just man, and yet not wanting to put her to shame publicly. Okay, Because in the law, he had the right to, like, in a sense, divorce her publicly. Say, she, she's, she was the problem. You know what I mean? Take her in front of the village elders, have her shamed, and then he's off. You know, it's not his problem anymore. And yet, he doesn't want to do that. And it shows both sides of justice. Justice is not just interested with showing what's right and true. Justice is also interested in promoting what's good. What's helpful, what's beneficial. And you see his struggle here, and this is echoed here in Scripture, that in a sense, you can say, well... And I just want to point out, God could have set up this story a different way, right? He could have told Joseph earlier <laughs> than when he found out that she was pregnant. This is what's going to happen. But he didn't. Why? Because he, he wanted to echo, one of the things that we have to work through even for us to, to, for, to promote peace is, is the, the challenge, the struggle we have to make just decisions. And not just to, to to make just decisions to cut off all the evil in the world. I mean, that's partially the way our cancel culture in today's world wants to work. Like, just let's just shame everything that's against what I'm against, you know, and destroy it, cut it off, make it go away. And if we'll just promote justice, you know, just get rid of all the bad people, so to speak. But Justice is more than standing up for truth, standing up for what is good. It's also caring for what is good. And you see here his struggle is he's thinking, okay, I know I didn't, I, I, this is wrong, and I, I need to, if, if what I think happened, happened, then it's wrong. But at the same time, she's got a story about what's happening, and, and yet I care for her, and I care about the situation. And and you just see him, in a sense, working through the issue and coming to the conclusion that he's not willing to make a spectacle out of this, to shame her publicly. But yeah, he's, you know, he hasn't acted on it. He's probably falling asleep thinking about it. I just want to show you, too, that God is the same way, right? God wants justice. He does. But he wants more than that. He wants good. Ezekiel 33 talks about this. says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is, uh, this is he's talk, God talking to Ezekiel to tell Israel, Thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? It's that Israel is in exile, and they're recognizing their sin, and they're just like, Well, then there's no hope for us because we receive justice. But justice means that we're, we're done, we're doomed because of our sins, our, our transgressions. 
verse 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And, and so God here is saying, look, I'm not interested in just condemning and destroying evil. I'm interested in re- making some good out of what was, e- what was evil in the place. And obviously Mary had done no evil. But Joseph didn't know that. He couldn't confirm that. And he's, he's left with this decision, and he wants to, to, to do that. And, and so, just to rem- I think for us, as we seek to, to understand peace, I think part of the, why the story is framed this way, and God put it into order this way, is because he, what he wants us to understand is that to promote peace, just decision-making is important. There's, a, there's an embrace to the struggle of trying to come up with true and good solutions to problems. Righteousness and justice is not simply upholding the law, but it's interwoven by love with mercy and grace. God loves us, it says, and therefore he sends Jesus. He, Jesus dies for our sins, it is true, but it's this combination of mercy and grace. And John puts it this way in John chapter 1. Mercy and truth have kissed. And here's Matthew from even before Jesus was born showing that same dilemma, that same coming together of mercy and truth coming together. You will in life face dilemmas. You will. How do, this is what's right, but I want to do good here. How, how do I put those together? If you're surprised by that, you will, you will lack peace. <laughs> if you're surprised by the fact that you have to face dilemmas at times, you will lack peace. You'll be like, oh, I did something wrong, or they did something wrong, <laughs> or some, some you know, fate caused this to happen. No, you just understand that God puts us in scenarios at times where... We have to wrestle with the same things that he wrestles with. Why? Because he wants us to understand the joy of promoting peace in the midst of evil. Therefore, in some ways, don't be afraid to do the right thing in a hard way. You could see both sides of this. I mean, Joseph's thinking about this decision, right? You You could see on one side, maybe some people would say, Joseph, why didn't you shame her publicly? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, we got to stop all these people who are sinning, you know. So let's shame them into not sinning. You got some people on the other side of it saying, Joseph, why did you divorce her? You know, it's like, just, just deal with the problem, make it yours. And, and Don't be afraid to do the right thing in a hard way, in the way that you think God wants you to deal with it. Also, don't be afraid to deal with a problem in front of you rather than trying to make an example, right? A lot of times it seems like we, we're arguing with ourselves in these areas when we're, we're, we're like, there's a voice in our heads that's like, well, I've got I've to stand for the bigger picture here. Joseph's just taking care of Mary before God because he's married to her, he's responsible for her, and he's got to deal with this. He's not trying to solve some bigger problem. That's God's problem in a sense. He's just saying, I've got this problem in front of me and I've got to make a just decision. And I think that's wise as we face our own lives. Sometimes we try to think, well, I've got to, 
I've got to solve all the problems in America by this one decision I'm going to make <laughs> and how I handle this person. No, <laughs> don't think that way. It's unwise. It's foolish. It will get you into many, many problems. Just decision-making promotes peace, and God puts this scenario in place in order to remind us of both what he is doing in the world and what, what he wants us to do as well. But of course, the story doesn't end with Joseph's decision to divorce her quietly. He says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It's interesting how the Bible puts this. Because you get the idea, right, that he's debating and thinking about this, and he falls asleep, right, and pondering and going over the issue. Which, if you've ever had a dilemma, you understand <laughs> that's often what happens is you fall asleep pondering the issue. <laughs> and God, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Son of Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, this opens him, Joseph up, and Mary up, and Jesus up, to accusations. In fact, that was one of the, one of the things you see, it's, it's in, later in the Gospels, as he gets accused of, yeah, being born illegitimately, right? But Joseph obeys God. And in the midst of life, as we wrestle with sometimes the dilemmas we face, at the same time, obedience to God's word promotes peace. Just decision-making promotes peace. But another thing that help, helps in life is to just understand that we need to, need to obey God's word. Now, you say, well, I don't have God appearing me to, or, or even an angel appearing me to me in a dream and telling me which way to go, like Joseph here, and I wish sometimes he would. That's true, I think all of us wish sometimes that we would have that clear direction. At the same time, Peter tells his readers in 1 Peter, he says, look, you have something that's more sure than a vision of Jesus risen in the Mount of Transfiguration. You have the Word of God. And yes, it doesn't tell you exactly what to do in every situation, but it gives you much more. We have, frankly, we have more than Joseph had of who God is and what he's like and through his Word. We have more than Peter had. We, we have the Word of God and even though it doesn't tell us exactly what to do in every dilemma that we face, we understand better who God is. We understand more of his, of his character, more of his plan. And, and therefore, we can obey it. And that doesn't mean that it gives every, like, simple solutions to every dilemma. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that we can go to God's word and say, okay, God, I'm going to, by faith, step out believing this is what you want me to do. And that does promote peace in our hearts, that peace in our lives. If we just say, okay, God, I can't solve everything, but your word gives me perspective and allows me to step forward. 
There's this perspective that comes from knowing God's plan. There's a perspective that comes from knowing God's character that allows me to, to navigate life peacefully. Also, the, it, gives, it does give directives, sometimes even when we don't have perspective, right? And here, Joseph, without the perspective of the, of the angel of God, wouldn't know what to do. You know, so God tells us to do certain things, and he doesn't always give us, I was, we were, I was at a uh, thing last night, and, and the, the pastor, there's a pastor giving a devotional, and he made a really good point. It's like, sometimes it's like we wish God would send us a letter when we're in fourth grade. <laughs> and uh, and it, in it, it would ride out like, okay, uh, you know, you're, you know, you're going to get married when you're 21. This is who you get married to. You know, this is the job you should take. You should avoid this investment, you know. Don't buy stock in Twitter. No, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and, and just would lay out our lives and then get to say, go, you know, go have a happy life. But God doesn't do that, right? Why? Because ultimately he wants us to walk with him. He's more interested in us walking with him step by step as we go through life than he is for us to just check off the boxes so I know I'm on the right path and then do whatever I feel like doing. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to have that peace of being able to, 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 to have that relationship with him, to be like, okay, God, I know you're with me. Not, I know you've got this plan, but I know you're with me now in the midst of life. You know, there's a couple of ways this plays out, just that it requires us to have faith as we obey. The finances, right? Once you have a job and you, you start making money, God says to take some of that money and give it back to him. You know what? <laughs> that takes faith because Usually we have a pretty good plan for what we can do with our money, right? We can be like, okay, you know, I want to use my money for this. And God's like, but not all of it. And it takes faith to believe that God will bless us, that we will get what we, what, in a sense, what we're hoping to achieve in life while we're still just trusting God with our money. But that's one way that we do that. With our job. I still remember a time my dad tells about, he was, if you don't know my my dad was an attorney. Uh, that was before he God called him into ministry, and uh, and he was actually feeling called into ministry. He was going to seminary, and uh, he thought, well, I can I can work through seminary by using my law degree, right? I can work for an attorney. You know, attorneys make big money. I can make big money and go to seminary, right? Well, so he he gets this job in town with an attorney in the seminary, and. Uh, not in the seminary, but at, in the same town as the seminary. And uh, th then the attorney asks him to do something that's illegal. Shock, you know. <laughs> not for most of us, <laughs> right? But the attorney asks him to do something illegal, and, uh, and, and he's faced with a dilemma. And the attorney basically says, if you don't do this, you're gone. Now, most of us won't face that exact scenario. But we all face scenarios where, do I trust God, even with my job, even with my future, with my, with my providing for me? 
or, and do what he wants me to do in the midst of that. He chose, obviously, to you know, start working in a factory. <laughs> he could work for an attorney in town anymore. But there's a peace that comes. There's a peace that comes when you're like, I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. I know I'm taking the steps that God wants me to take. There's a peace that comes from that. Why? Because you're, you're living in harmony with what you know God wants you to do. Now, sometimes can we look back and think, well, I, I didn't know everything then. I, didn't, I definitely didn't know everything at 21 that I know now, okay? That's the way life goes. But God, in the midst of life, knows where you're at and speaks with you. He's not going to hold it against you that you didn't know something. He's just going to walk with you. And that relates to our time as well. We live in a world that's busy, 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 doing whatever we think is good, and we're always searching for the next high, the next experience, the next thing that'll just make us at peace, if you will. Or joyful, or hopeful. You know what, there, there's a peace that comes and there's a hope that comes and there's a joy that comes from just obeying God's word. That's one of the reasons why I love this church is because we are trying to be a, a scripture-focused family. Say, this is, this is what it's about. We can have peace together. Why? By just seeking to obey God's word together. To encourage one another in our individual walks with God to obey what God has revealed to each of us. And that means that you can't play, please everyone all the time. You have to do what God is calling you to do. It also means that you, you really need to think about what's most important. Usually, in, in, as we think about time, we're concerned with, okay, how, how do I get what I will, will be good for me or will make me happy? If you're always focused on your happiness, you never will be. If you're always focused on your own happiness, you never will be. But if you focus on what's truly important what's valuable, and ultimately what's eternally valuable, then it brings joy and peace to our lives. And that's why I just, we encourage you to be in community groups. Why? So we can apply God's word together. We can obey God's word. We, we encourage you to be in ABFs. Why? Because we want you to know God's word and be able to, to apply it for yourselves. This is why we encourage you to invest in one another. Why? Because as we share with one another, as we invest in our community and, and love one another, why we're obeying God's word. And it brings peace. Even though we don't have all the answers. But there's something that I didn't emphasize here in the story that's actually the key to the whole thing. And it's this prophecy... And th th that Matthew, in a sense, wants to get to. It's, it's almost the point of the whole story, it's, but it's not. But it's like a key part of it, right? He's like, this all, what does he say? He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then he says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. All of what's happening here is so that God can get to a point where he has a son on the earth that is called Emmanuel, God with us. And 
achieves, achieving peace, even though we can promote peace by making, trying to make just decision-making, and we can promote peace by seeking to obey God's word, we don't really make peace for ourselves. We receive peace from God. And that's really the whole point here, is that they're receiving something really important in the midst of the story. It's, it's this son, this son who's been promised from ages past, who is now arriving in the flesh. God with us. The, the prophecy was made to a, a king in Isaiah chapter 7 who was facing two nations coming against him. Syria and Israel were coming against Judah. And the king of Judah was afraid. How can I solve this? How can I protect my people? How can I... He said that, no, there's going to be a sign that I am with you. <laughs> a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Again, achieving peace is not something we do as much as that we receive. And this kind of goes to the whole point of loneliness is killing peace because you have, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I'm thinking about my life and the decisions I've made and where I'm at and where I hope to be in the future, and I feel pretty alone. I don't know about you. You say, well, how can you be alone when you have seven kids and a wife? Well, it's, it's possible, right? Just, just because you have people around you doesn't mean that sometimes you don't feel alone. And when you're, sometimes, especially when you're telling your story, when you're thinking to yourself, this is my story, this is the decisions I've made, this is what's happened to me, this is the results, you feel alone. And yet, with this idea of Emmanuel, you get not aloneness, but God with us. I want you to think about you sitting across um, a good friend of yours and you're telling the stories that you tell yourself about yourself to them. And, and usually a good friend is both listening well, they're reacting, they're, they're getting angry on your behalf at the right times, they're getting happy on the right, at the right times, right? They're, they're reacting to your story, they're going through their story with you. And usually what happens in the midst of that storytelling is they add something to the picture that you haven't even seen. Why? Because they can see something different about your life than you can. It's just the way it works. And when they add that into the conversation, it, it almost helps you to retell the story now. Why? Because they've brought something to the table that wasn't there before. Why? Because you're not alone. And now you have this gift, Emmanuel. This isn't just a friend. This is God now with us. Like the one who is crafting the whole story for everyone, is now with us. Now he can sit across the table from us. And as we're telling our story, he starts adding things into the story that we hadn't ever seen before. Things that he knew about. Good things that we didn't see. Things that are a part of the bigger picture. And all of a sudden, our story goes from being alone, this is what's happened to me, this is what I can do on my own, this is what I don't think, I, I'm in trouble. I'm no longer alone. 
Someone is telling my story with me. And it's God in the flesh. Emmanuel. And the only way we can get that is if we have God become man perfectly, fully, lovingly. And what Matthew is saying is that's been God's plan all along. Not that we tell our stories all alone, like Adam and Eve from the garden, right? When they hid and they're like, oh, this is my story. I messed up. I'm in trouble. There's no one else can help me. Now God shows up in the flesh and starts telling our story with us. And that should give you peace. Not a peace you can attain on your own. Not a peace that you can achieve. But a peace that comes from knowing that God is with us. You know, I walked around the property and, yeah, you, you, if you walk along, you see, occasionally you see a tree stump cut off at the very, at the bottom. At some point, Richard decided, said either that tree's dead and it's done, or it needs to come out. I don't know why. They, some trees got checked out and some didn't. Probably ask Richard to find out. You know, but, and then you, sometimes you go along, you, you, uh, you, you, if you're amongst the pine trees, you realize I can't, like there's a path typically, but sometimes the pine trees have grown so tight that you can't, you got to move, you got to change direction. And in, in life, things happen. Things, things don't go the way we plan, and we have to cut some things out. It's just the way things go. And sometimes God changes our plan. But you know what? If, you, if you're not alone on the walk, if you realize that God is with you, then the changes, the cuts, they're all part of the story that he's weaving on your behalf. They're all part of what he's aware of, what he's working at. And, and, and that's really what life is about. It's, it's, it's about recognizing that we're walking with God through life. And that's why we need to be a community of peace. Why? Because we've received the Prince of Peace. We, we have the ability to listen to one another's stories and not worry about solving their problems for them. Why? Because we have a God who can solve it for them. We, we don't have to solve it for them. We can just say, I'm with you in the midst of it. I can listen to you. I can care about you. Why? Because we can be a community of peace in our community groups. As we, as we listen, we can encourage one another. You know, okay, we can promote peace, obey God's word, but we can also just listen and care. We, we can invest in people. Why? Because, you know what? God is in control of our investments, our time, our energy, our money. He uses them in ways that we can't always see because he's with us and working in us. And so my question to you this morning really is, do you have peace? And I forgot to, Christ's presence gives peace, right? Do you have that peace? Do you have Christ's presence in your life? Do you know that he's there and that you are at peace? Romans 10 puts it this way, 
says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's, it's saying the faith that comes with righteousness doesn't try to make peace something that we manufacture on our own or that we can manipulate God into by rescuing Jesus, in a sense. But what does it say? The word of faith is near you, that is with you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We receive Christ's presence simply by believing that he is with us, because he promised to be, because he died on the cross on our behalf. If we believe that he is Lord and that he died on our behalf, and we confess that, and ask for salvation, we will be saved. So do you have peace? I'm reminded, too, of that, you know, the footprints poem, right? Where the, the, the two footprints walking on the beach, and then there was only one footprint, and it's like God talking to the person, and says this, after the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you have said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way, but I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Our goal is to be a church where we're encouraging one another to walk in peace, to be a community of peace. So, do you have peace? Is it yours from Christ? Do you remember that He is with you? That you can talk to Him, that you can pray to Him? Can you be a vehicle of peace by listening to others, by encouraging one another to obey God's word? And even in the dilemmas of life, to pronounce justice and love and mercy together. Why? Because we have the God of peace who makes peace, and he sent us the Prince of Peace. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can come before you and recognize the peace that you offer. And I'm not sure if there are some here who have not accepted your peace. I pray that they would. They would recognize that they can have peace as they accept what Jesus has done for them on the cross. They can know your love. They can know that you have a plan for their life, that you will give them eternal life with you. Just as, you, as they come to you by faith, recognizing their sin, confessing it, and accepting what Jesus has done for it on the cross. For those of us who have done that, yet we, we still struggle sometimes with peace. We get caught up in how much money we have or how much life experiences we're going to have or the job we want to have or all the things we want to accumulate. And all of those are poor replacements for peace. 
Help us to walk with you. Help us to promote just decision-making in our, the dilemmas that we face, to, to, to seek to obey your word step by step. But mostly help us to remember that you are with us, that we can talk to you, that you listen to us, and that you walk with us. We thank you for that in your son's name.